Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. professor at Cornell University did a study on the effects of the human body on the effects of hope on the human body. And he studied 25,000 prisoners of war over an extended period of time. And he discovered that out of the 25,000 POWs, there was one group of people who the experience of being a POW had almost no effect at all on them. In spite of brutality, in spite of torture, in spite of solitary confinement, in spite of inhumane abuse, there was one group of people that uh, were an oddity. It's like it just didn't phase them. There was no post-traumatic stress. They didn't get ill. They didn't have flashbacks. They went on with their life. He studied that group, and the one common denominator was an extraordinarily high level of hope. Hope makes all the difference in the world. It is essential for handling the crises of life. And in his conclusion of his study, he said, when a man has hope, he is capable of bearing incredible burdens and cruel punishment. But when hope is gone, people fall apart, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Today we're beginning a new series. I'm titling What God Wants to Do for you. And we're going to begin by asking, where do you get the hope that you need to face your circumstances in life? Because you have to have hope. You have to believe that God is working and can work in your life and that God wants to do something for you. You've got to have hope to make it. And hope is in short supply in our society today. Would you agree with me? And because hope is in such short supply in our society today, People fall for all kinds of scams. Like, do you know why you get so many scam phone calls, scam likely on your phone? Do you know why you get so many spam emails in your email account? I'll tell you why. Because it works. Like, no one likes it, but the reality is it keeps happening because it works. And when people are hopeless, they will fall for false hope. Do you know it's the same thing with political ads? Everyone, I think all of us would 100% agree in this room that we all hate political ads. Then why are they run? Because they work. And people in despair go, I'm not going to put my hope in that person. I'm going to put my hope in that person. And it brings people to actually bring false hope. And False hope is all around us. We'll trust in things like advertising, cold calls, psychics, astrology, crystals, all sorts of things. And people will actually put their hope in false hope. And of course, inevitably, things will disappoint and people will actually end up being worse off because nothing is worse than being disappointed by false hope. Nothing is more useless than false hope. Is there a place that I can get the hope that I need to depend on and count on? Is there a solid source of hope? 
Where do I find that kind of hope? The Bible tells us that you find it in God. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13, says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you trust in Him. And because you trust in Him and because you have this joy and peace, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is my prayer for you this weekend. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely. In other words, that as you put your faith in God, He gives you peace and joy. And He says specifically, if you put your hope in me, you will overflow with hope. It will be rewarded back to you. You can be confident in it. Specifically, God says, you are to put your hope in my name. I'll show you this in several places throughout the series, but in one place today in Psalm 52, 9. Let's read this out loud together. I will hope in your name, for your name is good. What does that mean? How do you put your hope in a name? You know, today we generally choose names based on how they sound. So if you've ever named a kid, you've gone through this whole process. Uh, Do I like the sound of this name? Does it sound good with our last name? What does it spell backwards? Because I don't want to accidentally name my kids something embarrassing. What does it look like if you put this all together? You look at it as many different angles as you can. What are the possible nicknames for this name? Because you don't want to have them have a negative nickname growing up. You've been through this process, yes, where you go through how it sounds. If you've ever known a teacher who was naming a child, you see their spouse contribute a name. And the teacher says, no, 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 never. I had a kid like that in class who was absolutely terrible. Or they'll say, I knew someone by that name. And so I don't want to name them that. And so teachers generally come up with bizarre names for their kids because they need a fresh slate, right? They need a name that they've never used before in their life. And In ancient cultures, they would choose a name based on what it meant because of what it described. And it's why you see in Scripture, God uh, would even change people's names. He would say, well, your name is this, uh, but now you're going to be called this because uh, this doesn't describe your character anymore. This is going to be who you are. And you'd see uh, Saul would become the apostle Paul and Simon, the disciple. Jesus said, no, we're not going to call you Simon anymore. Everybody's going to call you Peter and you're going to be known forever as Peter Because you're a rock and you're going to be used to help build the church. And it's going to last for eternity and the gates of hell can't even overcome it. And so your name was often a definition of your character. Because you were given that name to match who you were. So when God chose to reveal who he was and chose to reveal himself to the Israelites, to the Hebrew nation, he used uh, Hebrew terms to describe. To describe himself, and you can find him in the Old Testament. Did you know that God has many different names? In the Bible, God calls himself by many different Hebrew names. Each one of the names is a depiction of his character, it describes who he is. And each one of the names is a promise to you and 
to me that we can put our hope in his name, that his name is good, and it describes who he is, and we find hope and a promise there. Each one of his names is a a benefit that he says, I provide to man. For instance, one time God used the Hebrew name Jehovah Shalom, and that means I am the God who gives you peace. And if you want real peace of mind, you should come to me for it. In another place, he uses the Hebrew term Jehovah Jireh, and that means I'm the God who provides all your needs and that you can count on me. And we're going to be looking at these names in the week ahead because, and this I believe is going to be an amazing discovery for us as we go through this series, that for every one of your needs, for every one of the needs of man, there is a corresponding name of God. And God says in so many ways, do you have a need? I can meet that need. Do you have a need, another need? I can meet that need. And on and on and on. At the end of the book of Ezekiel, God gives one of his names. He says, I am Jehovah Shammah. And in Hebrew, that means I am the God who is there. Written in such a way that God is always there. I am always there for you. There is no place that God is not. God has been in your past. Can you believe that? God is in your present with you right now. And God will be there into what you face in the future. He is everywhere. In fact, you can write this fact down, is that God is always with me. The difference is I just need to recognize it. You know, the air around you is filled with radio waves, uh, TV waves, whatever you call those, Wi-Fi. We're constantly surrounded by this stuff. But you don't get the benefit of them until you connect to them. You know, today, the Chiefs game will be available everywhere in the Kansas City area. There's no place you could go in the Kansas City area where the Chiefs game would not be available, but you only see it if you connect to it, if you dial in to it. In much the same way, God's presence is constantly available if you learn to tune into the presence of God. And if you do that, it greatly benefits your life. So he's given us these ways to recognize and sense his presence. And you've, you've felt it uh, in reading scripture or taking a step in faith or praying or sharing your faith or singing to him. I've told you many, many times, worship music doesn't increase the presence of God. The power of it is it increases our awareness of the presence of God in our life. And we go, oh my goodness, God is here. Oh my goodness, God is in my life. And our faith increases because we are made more aware of the presence of God. Last night, just as we were starting the 6.30 service, I mean, the pre-roll video ends, we're clicking off the song, the power goes out. And the power went out in several places in in Belton, maybe you experienced it. And uh, I, I told them last night in the message, once we finally were able to get church going and the service going, is it's not like God was less here when the power was out, and then when we were able to worship, now God was here. It's, no, now we rec- we're recognizing his presence, and we're still kind of uh, experiencing the effects of the power outage last night, so you can pray we can get some situations resolved, but God is always with us. God is always with you. 
the specific name of God, this name, Jehovah Shammah, has profound implications on where you find hope. If God is truly with me all the time, whether I feel it or not, then that means there are sources of hope that I can count on. There are things in life I can count on. There are many, many, many things in life that are absolutely uncertain. But there is, there are some things that you can count on. And here today, we're going to find three anchors of the soul, the Bible calls them. Hope is the anchor of the soul. Things that I can count on so that no matter what happens, I know life is not hopeless. The first is this, that because God is always with me, his presence is watching over me. Regardless of what happens, we don't go through it alone. You don't have to go through it alone. There's a God who's with us. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd have to go to the basement, but it was dark down there and it would be scary, but it was never scary if someone was with you? Were you ever a kid and when you were about ready to go upstairs, you turn off the light to the basement and then please don't leave me alone up here with this, okay? And you would sprint up the stairs because as soon as you turn the light off, there's something down. But you never did that when you were with someone else. We need someone watching over us. Yesterday, my wife and kids went on a walk and it it turned into a hike on a trail and she said, uh, how about I go this way and I'll meet you? And there was just, just two little, like she'd be able to see him the whole time. She says, I'll just go this way and meet you on the other side. My son says, no, no, there may be skunks. <laughs> he wanted someone watching over him. Friend, you never grow out of that. Like, you may grow out of those specific scenarios, but you don't grow out of that feeling, that emotion. And God doesn't call us babies or make fun of us for needing his presence and for wanting someone with us to watch over us. He understands it. He promises it to us. In Isaiah 41, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. The only certainty of life is that God will never leave you. And that helps to have hope. Because the fear of loss, the fear of being abandoned, is one of the greatest causes of hopelessness in all our lives. This feeling that I'm going to be deserted, that I'm going to be forsaken, that I'm going to be left alone, and I'm going to be overwhelmed, and there's going to be no one to help me. And the answer is this. God will help you. God is Jehovah Shammah. He is with you. Not only is he with us, but he says he watches over us. Not just watches as a spectator, not like he's just seeing what's in your life, but watches over us and cares for us. Psalm 32, 8. I want you to notice two words in this. It says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. He says, I will guide you and advise you. Guide and advise. This is valuable to me because the future is so unknown. Uh, None of us know what's going to happen in our lives. In our lives, in the economy, in the weather, in world events, all these things. But God knows the future. And the God who knows the future is willing to guide and advise to the best pathway. He's willing to show us the way. And there is great hope in that. 
One of the great things that brings hope is realizing I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to guess what's going to happen. And if I do and I'm wrong, no big deal. I just have to trust the God who has it all figured out. And he knows and he understands and he's willing to guide and advise and help me respond to life. In Lamentations chapter 3, last verse under this point. It says, yet I still dare to hope. Would you, would you say that today? Would you still dare to hope today? I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. After the message today, we're just going to sing songs of, of God's love because his love never ends and that's where we find hope. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. That one passage can get me through a lot. Notice God's mercies are new every morning. They never cease. You know, we feel hopeless because uh, we feel like, well, I've already messed up enough along the way and uh, the mercies run out. The Bible says, no, there are fresh mercies for you. There is grace for you. And I need that. I need the hope of that, that God can give a new start, a new day, that God's presence can still be watching over me even though I've mis had mistakes, even though I've sinned against him, even though I've rebelled against him. I can come back to him and find his presence there for me. The second reason I can have hope, number two, if you're taking notes, is his purpose is working in me. Now, when you have a problem that you don't understand the purpose, that's very difficult to handle. One of the most difficult questions of life is, why is this happening to me? And some things just don't make sense. And those situations can be difficult to handle. On the other hand, when you see a purpose behind your problem, it gives enormous hope. It gives you enormous power to endure it. And God says, I'm working in your life. And I have a purpose for you that is beyond the circumstances of what's happening. I want us to look at a couple verses under this point that are very, very popular Bible verses. And they're very, very popular for very good reason because they're full of hope. And they're verses that you keep coming back to because they're so profound and they really explain what life is all about. The first is Romans 8 verse 28. Now in the summer we did a whole series on the chapter of Romans 8. So I don't need to give too much context here. But it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Notice first what is it, it does not say. It does not say uh, all things work out the way that I want them to. And we would love to interpret this verse that way, uh, but that's not what it says because that's not true. The reality teaches us that not every patient gets well, not every couple that gets married lives happily ever after. Reality teaches us that not every business decision is a million dollar decision. Not every problem is resolved. So what does it say? First it says we know. We know. 
Not that we imagine, not that we wish, not that we're just making this up, not that we're just throwing this against the wall to see what sticks and see what happens. No, we know. We are confident. We know that God causes, that there is a master designer of the universe and there is a plan in action in history and that there's no such thing as fate or chance or luck. There's no such thing as karma or what will be or destiny. It's not true. God causes. Do we make mistakes? Yes, we make many mistakes, but God doesn't make mistakes. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Everything, illness, unemployment, failure, freak accidents, stupid decisions that I make, all of it. God can redeem anything. God can bring anything back from the dead. Now, it doesn't say all things are good. Things in themselves may not be good, but God causes good things or things to work together for good. You know, when you're baking a cake or really doing any kind of baking, uh, you've got some flour and raw eggs and sugar and salt and all these different things, vanilla extract. Now, are any of those things good by themselves? No, if you've ever baked with a child, you know, like they grab a handful of flour and put it in their mouth and they're like, oh, what is this? And, you know, they, they want to just have some sugar, straight sugar. Well, that doesn't really taste that good. Or like, I mean, you would never just have drink some vanilla extract or drink some lemon juice. Everything we cook with by itself is absolutely disgusting. There are a lot of things in life that are difficult to swallow. They are bitter going down. Things on their own, if you just pull out the individual things in life, much of it is bitter going down. Not all things are good, but God works them together for good. And when those elements are put together, it produces something that is wonderful. And God is going to take the elements of your life, even the things that are distasteful, bitter, and work them together for good. Let me ask you this. If you're struggling to believe this today, can God bring good out of bad? Well, if you're a Christian, you're staking your life on it. Because it's why we call the Friday before Easter, which was the most evil day in history, the worst day in history, we call it Good Friday because God brought good out of bad. The crucifixion was not good. God brought good out of it. And when you understand that God is not only watching over you, he's working in you. That he not only has his presence in your life, but he has a purpose. It's a source of enormous hope. Now, before we move on, notice the great qualifier of this great promise. Is that it's not for everybody. It says, for those who love God. All things don't work together for good for everybody. It's a promise for those who want God in their life them, him watching over them and his purpose being worked out in their life. Who want his presence, who want his purpose. Now that's scary. Because if you walk away from God, you reject God and you don't want his presence and purpose. Things are not working together for good. They're conspiring against you. If you would say today, well, I was close to God at one time. How can I get back to him to where 
these bitter things are working together for good, again, this next verse is for you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. When God starts something in your life, he finishes it. Will you let him finish it? You may say, no, I'm too far gone. I'm beyond hope. You're not. You're not. You've walked away from it, but you can come back and say, God, I'm going to give you the mess. I'm going to give you the pieces. Will you give me your peace? Then that which he started, he finishes in your life. How do I learn about God's plan for my life? Romans 15 tells us, back to this passage again, the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. When you focus on the fact that God's presence is watching over me, God's purpose is working in me, you're going to have hope. But that's not all. Because God is Jehovah Shammah. Because He's always with me. Number three, His place is waiting for me. When things get unbearable in your life, you remember that this life is not all there is. And there's the ultimate hope of heaven. Paul said it this way. He said, if, if all our hope were just on earth, then we should be pitied. We should be hopeless. But there's more to this life than here and now. We have an ultimate destination. God is preparing a place in heaven. When the disciples were discouraged and dismayed, Jesus told them, we see it in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? He goes on. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. Watch this now. So that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus Christ says that heaven is a place. It's not a state of mind. It's not some kind of nirvana or nothingness where you just float around. No, it is a real place where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place, a real place for you in this real place. The disciples asked, well, how in the world could we get there? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, in this series, we're going to look at what heaven is really like and what you're going to do when you get there. But today, let me just say that heaven is a place of relief and release. Of relief and release. It's a great reason for hope. There's no way you can get this kind of hope from pop psychology, no book, podcast, therapy, positive affirmation is going to make you competent enough to handle the crises of life and death. And if you're feeling hopeless in life, you have forgotten how much God cares about you, that his presence would be watching over you, that he would work even the bitter things for good, and that he would be working to prepare a place for you. And maybe you're stuck in a seemingly hopeless situation, maybe a hopeless health problem, and you've been to all the doctors and there is no help, there's no cure. Maybe you have a seemingly hopeless situation with a child or a seemingly hopeless situation in your finances. 
I want to show you in this series what God wants to do for you. Now, there are a lot of things in life that are uncertain, but there are a few things that you can count on. There are certainties of life, no matter what happens, that God's presence will be watching over me. His purpose will be working in me, and God has a place for me in eternity waiting for me. We're going to read this passage, and then we'll close in prayer together. It's from 1 Peter 1. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. No situation is hopeless. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we just receive uh, these words of life from you. God, I believe that we are brought here today uh, so we could be reminded not to give up, but to give over, to give over to God, to give ourselves over to you, Lord. And Father, I'm sure there are people here today who are feeling uh, very beat up by the circumstances of life. And they may be feeling hopeless. I know that there are others today who are discouraged and depressed by events that have happened uh, in their life in just the last week or two. And I know there are some who have been uh, in the pit of despair. And Lord, I thank you so much for bringing these people here today. Lord, I know that you love them. I pray that in this moment they will turn it all over to you so they can experience new mercies, new life, a living hope. Just pray to him now. God knows your thoughts. He knows the attitude of your heart. Just pray in your mind, your heart. He'll hear you. Say, dear God, you know exactly how I've been feeling. You see the confusion, the sadness in my soul. And today I want to turn it all over to you. Lord, you alone are my source of hope. And help me to be more aware that you are always with me, that you are watching over me. I want to thank you for working in my life, even in the middle of all my pain and problems, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. And so today, Jesus Christ, as much as I know how I open up my life to you, I give my life over to you. I want to build a relationship with you so that I can be with you forever, so that you can be preparing a place for me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.